Hey guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. This is Andrew Frezza with our head coach of Fit Town Jupiter, Austin Bettigrew. And today we're gonna to be talking about how to add more value to veteran members in the class experience. And we're mainly talking to the veteran coaches out here that want to deliver a better class experience to their veteran members, those people that have been in the gym for you know, two plus years, three plus years, five plus years, that things can become stale or stagnant, and how do we continue to uh, be persistent with those athletes? How do we continue to deliver value to those athletes? And that's what we're gonna be diving into today. So we wanna just first kind of define the veteran member, just so we're kind of all on the same page with that, and then we'll talk about actually some of the mistakes that we think a lot of veteran coaches make or, or um, patterns that they fall into with those clients. Um, so when you think about the veteran member, Austin, who, who do you think of? What type of client? Yeah, I think, I think it's someone that's been, been at the gym for a while, obviously, which makes them the veteran, but it's someone that you know by name, you have a pretty good relationship or should have at this point. And hopefully if we've been doing our job right, they, they're some of the better movers and um, some have the, some of the highest fitness levels out of anyone in that class or in the gym. Um, that's kind of the biggest things that I look for. Um, and it's just someone that um, when, when there's a workout announced or a workout that's briefed at the board, they know what they're doing without you being there or with you being there, so. Yeah, yeah, hopefully like in terms of corrections that you would have to make on that person, it, it almost never has to do with the safety thing. They're already moving really safely. Um, and I think about the person who really understands the flow of class, how you do things at your gym, and because they're so used to the flow of class, things almost slow down for that client. So like if you think about the first time you learned how to drive and the first time you probably merged onto a highway, you were you were thinking, oh my God, this feels so fast, mm -hmm. right? And the first time you took a uh, CrossFit class or any type of high intensity class, you probably felt like, oh my God, this is happening so fast. I feel lost. I don't know what this terminology means. Even if you started with one-on-one -on -one sessions, it can still feel like that. But the veterans, they understand all that. They understand all the lingo. They've heard you uh, explain and demonstrate the wall ball a million times, the rower a million times. So for them, everything kind of slows down and uh, 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 the pace of the class can feel slower to them, even though nothing has changed on your end. And I think to build on that in another rise, because in the beginning it, it is so fast, it's also very fast in making progress. And I think with the veteran members, they tend to be slower in the progress at that point. They've maybe plateaued a little bit, or maybe they're still improving, but it's very minimal compared to the amount that they were progressing when they first started because everyone knows how quickly that Yeah, depend happens. I mean, depending on their age, they could be getting worse, but they're just slowing that decline, right? If you have a client that is in their 50s or 60s and they've been with you for six, seven, eight, nine years, I mean, for that person to be improving at everything at all times is gonna be very rare. And there's a good chance that there's gonna be things related to strength training, if they had a good strong background in strength training, or they made really good strides in their first few years with you, they might not be able to touch PRs that they hit earlier on. So we need to find areas that we can still improve with them, areas that they're still excited to work on, and um, and find ways that we can keep them motivated and, and into it. So let's talk about where we find uh, issues with veteran coaches, right? Or, or patterns of veteran coaches of where coaches, as they've been coaching a while in the group class, tend to fall into what I would consider one of two ruts, okay? So 
we have this, we always think about like the macro versus the micro of the macro is the group management side. It's, it's kind of the lesson planning, the, the flow from warm up to workout to cool down, how you maybe uh, teach the entire group, how you brief at the whiteboard. Whereas the micro is the one-on-one -on -one coaching, the one-on-one -on -one relationship building. When you're using someone's name, when you're close to someone's personal space, when you're giving them a high five or fist bump pre-COVID, um, doing things like that. Those are all the one-on-one, -on -one, the micro stuff. So we really feel that there's, there's two types of coaches, ones that really thrive in the macro environment and struggle in the micro, and then other coaches that uh, thrive in the micro, the one-on-one, -on -one, but struggle in the group side. So what do you see in that regard, Austin? I think the biggest thing is they're both good, but it needs to be a pretty well-balanced machine. I think, like you said, you can get caught up on one or the other, and then tying that into your veteran members, they can pick up on that really quickly. Um, when when you get stuck in that that macro role, they don't get the detail that they need. And let's say it's let's say it's a clean, and they're trying to improve their clean. When you are that macro role, we call it getting stuck on the turf for us. We have a big turf down the middle of our um, gym, and sometimes coaches can get stuck on that where they're just kind of shouting out you know cues and corrections from afar. Um, but it's more broad to the class instead of specific to the individual. I think that can kind of leave them in a spot where they're not going to improve as much as they could had you got to that one-on-one. -on, -one. on the other side, if you go to one-on-one, -on -one, I think that veteran member is kind of left um, feeling like the class is getting slow in a sense because maybe you've been touching on some new person, it's usually a new person, you've gotten stuck with them because they need to improve their movement and that veteran member has kind of just been waiting for even one little nugget you can give them. But because you get stuck in that little micro conversation, it kind of slows the flow of everything down. So yeah, it's kind of this, this balance of trying to keep the, the class at a faster moving pace, but also giving those veteran members something to build upon um, in every given class. Yeah. Yeah, I think it doesn't have to be a beginner. I think sometimes veteran coaches get stuck with veteran members mm -hmm. and it can be a great interaction but just making sure that that interaction is happening enough with a large enough percentage of the class often enough that in the course of, let's say if you were to coach 6 a.m. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, over the course of those three days, you had that really good interaction at least once with every single person. And on the other days where you didn't have that really detailed interaction, you, they still got some good touch point from you that was quicker um, as opposed to like you get stuck with someone and, and you literally leave the class and you're like, I really feel like I spent the entire day with John and it was a class of 15 people. I don't even feel like I gave anybody else anything of value. That's really what we're talking about with that like micro stuck. Yeah, and, and I'll look at a class and I'll you know kind of evaluate myself on my performance and the days that I feel like I didn't do well are the days where I was, for me, too macro where I didn't dig in enough. That, that's where I'll find myself, I don't want to say being lazy, but uh, not not doing enough on the individual or micro basis, um, where I feel like we have some coaches on staff who are so good with technical knowledge that it's really easy for them to get stuck in those one-on-one -on -one, um, conversations. And um, yeah, it, it's it's a weird place to be because if if you've been coaching for a long time, you do want to give every member. Um, something to build upon and you do want to have individual conversations with everyone but as a veteran coach you also have to have the ability to step back for a second and view it as a whole 
and make sure that the class is flowing, make sure everyone in general has gotten in touch and you haven't just been walking in the same path a hundred times. And yeah, it's stepping back really is, is a good way to do it. And I think that's how we kind of teach our coaches to do it is, you know, you, you might be stuck with someone, but at the end of talking to them, like step back, examine the room and realize where you have or haven't been in the you know, past couple mm-hmm. minutes and then make adjustments from there. Yeah, and I think that's that's really our first way to add value to the veteran member experience is just to prioritize the pace of class. Yeah. It needs to be a somewhat fast pace of class, and we'll try to define what we mean by fast because I think this can be taken a number of different ways. But what, when we say fast is we're talking about things like what is the ratio of talking versus moving, okay? If you're a coach that has a lot to share, but you go off on these three, four, five, six minute monologues, I don't care how good that talk was, most people are tuning you out and they're they're not there. Uh, they don't wanna learn that much. I mean, even if you have a lot of good, valuable information to share, they don't wanna learn that much that they wanna be not moving for that long of a period of time. So look at that ratio of talking and moving. Um, also, your transition between different sections of class. So when the warm up ends, how quickly do you go into you know, the briefing of whatever that next piece is, the strength or the skill or the workout of the day. Um, what do those transitions look like? Or is there a lot of just like lag time and, and downtime where these minutes are getting eaten up and, and all of a sudden you've lost 15 or 20 minutes of the class because you, you just were slow transitioning. There wasn't that enough of a sense of urgency there that felt like you were valuing the time of the people that are there. Yeah, I, I think you said it the best. Like- make sure that they're moving and like you said it's not like literally trying to do things faster because then you kind of lose value of what you're actually trying to program like maybe it is a snatch like you don't really want to give them like oh eight minutes instead of 15 minutes to build you're not trying to speed it up that way but if you're going through a barbell prep like you want them to be moving as you're kind of progressing the movement up to the snatch so instead of making them stop while you can explain the snatch piece by piece they're just moving piece by piece with you and it kind of flows and they never feel like they're just doing nothing. Yeah. Um, one thing that we've changed from a programming perspective, I think I'm glad you brought up a little bit of the programming element is what we're not talking about is trying to pack more in a yeah. class. Um, we still very much kind of stick to like somewhere between like 23 minutes, 22 minutes to like 31 or 32 minutes of programming skill strength plus workout in any given day. So more often than not, classes have 28 to 35 minutes unaccounted for. That's gonna to go to like warm up or uh, practice time or, or uh, cool down time, things like that. So we're not necessarily trying to pack too much more into the class, um, but we are trying to just have uh, less moments where there's nothing being done. And we don't, we don't do a lot of open-ended stuff either. So like if we do strength, it's often gonna be a superset where we're doing an EMOM and you're bouncing back between two movements. Or if we're doing back squat builds, it might be every two and a half minutes for six, seven rounds, but it's not just a back squat in two and a half minutes, you have this accessory core piece or this accessory skill piece. So there's less downtime there, less standing around for the members. Yeah, it's huge. Um, Um, Go ahead. I I was gonna transition because I think what you basically lended yourself to was finding one or two things that you can build the day around. And I think that's another thing that we've started doing really well is, you know, you use the back squat as as an example, like maybe your strength piece is a back squat with a 
single arm strict press. Those are those are your, like your two focuses, and you can kind of build the day around those two things. And now, as you are teaching people, you can pick one or two things for each of those specific movements to really dive deep on. So maybe it's a squat. A lot of it is like bracing, and then like what position you're actually squatting with first. Like maybe it's sitting the hips back. Maybe it's focusing on what the knees are doing. But having one or two things that you can kind of nerd out on without having to feel like you have to explain everything over and over again because those that are members have heard it over and over again. Yeah, that, that I think is the number one thing you guys can do is say less. Um, don't try to regurgitate an entire list of the points performance. Assume your members know it. And even if they don't, that's great because if you gave off that whole list of points performance, they're not gonna remember all of them anyway. So um, we, we often talk about just this idea that if we give our members five really good things to remember, they're gonna remember zero of them. So you're better off giving them one or two really good things to remember and they will have a high chance of remembering those one or two things. So Austin brought up the back squat and um, you, know, you can talk about so many things with the back squat and you can get very in depth about that. So like he brought up bracing, you can talk about the, the idea of bracing. What does it look like to get organized in your core, your trunk, before you pick up that bar? And why it's so important before you even uh, grab that bar, before you even start to walk it off the rack, that you should be braced and locked in prior to picking up the bar. And what does that look like? And then when it comes time to actually show the back squat, you just let the visual do the talking. You don't say, and you're also in your heels and you're also driving your knees out and you're also keeping your chest up. Like let your visual do the talking or bring it back to the bracing. Notice how I'm keeping my bracing, I'm keeping my rib cage down. As I do this, I'm not arching my head up towards the sky, losing that rib cage, losing that brace. So it's all centered around this one idea of bracing organization before I lift. And what's great about that is that that's not, not overwhelming to your beginning members. That gives your beginning members one really good thing to focus on. And for your veteran members, it allows them to really try to perfect that aspect of it. Mm -hmm. And it gives you something very specific to coach them on that day that they're gonna be more open to coaching because now you've set the stage, the framework for them to be open to that coaching. Yeah, and I think we take it um, basically into every single briefing is like, you know, let's say it's a simple movement workout like sit-ups, wall balls, you, you don't need to demo those movements. Like anyone yeah. that's coming into your group class should hopefully know already what those are. So it's really easy to just pick one thing you really want to hit on. Like maybe it's a wall ball, maybe it is the positioning of, the, of your chest or the bracing of the catch on each rep. That's like literally all you need to say and then you can move on. Yeah. Where I think some people will over demo the movement and then your members are just watching you do wall balls that they've seen you do a million times and you're just wasting time, which like we said earlier, slows down class and then they're just waiting for the next thing to happen where it usually yeah. turns into tuning you out and then you kind of lose them anyways. Yeah, if you're, if you're bored listening to yourself, then they're probably <laughs> bored listening to you as well. So bring something to the table that, that feels exciting and fun and valuable for you and keep it, again, narrow focus to one or two specific things. And it will, it will have a great balance for your newbies and your veteran members. Um, and I should point out, our, this, this does vary a little bit based on your onboarding process. Mm -hmm. We have a specific onboarding process where now everybody goes through PT sessions prior to starting. So if you have a different onboarding process, it might change this a little bit, but uh, I, I do think it's better to treat your members like they are smarter than they might actually be. 
um, in the sense of don't try to over explain what the row looks like, what the wall ball looks like, what a box jump looks like, unless that becomes the focus for the day. Yep. And then find that one or two specific things to nerd out about those movements. But when it's not the focus, you don't have to even demo it. You can just talk about like, hey, here's how to choose your weight on the wall balls, and then let's move on. Yep. Third thing we're gonna talk about with adding value to veteran members is being willing to change your cueing approach and really just your approach in general with athletes. So. Mm -hmm. As a general rule of thumb, if you've taken a, a level one or a level two with CrossFit, you're probably familiar with this idea that the most efficient way to correct movement is to, to name a body part and to tell it a direction to go, right? You want knees out, you want chest up, you want shoulders back. Those are very efficient ways to do it. Now, where this becomes an issue with veteran members is they probably have heard that thing a thousand times from you. They probably heard the same cue from you over and over and over again. And at some point they begin to ignore you, tune you out, or maybe they're genuinely trying to listen, but they just can't do it better. They, they, if they would have done it better, they would have done it by now. Yeah. And um, you know, there's some athletes that they'll do it good 90% of the time and that 10% you have that rapport and you yell across the room, Austin, drive your knees out. Like you got this last five reps. Like. That's a different kind of relationship. But then there's those other athletes where it's like, I've told them the same thing over and over again. They never do it. And that's where we have to change our approach. Yeah, I agree. I, I Going back to what you said um, on the last point is, I think we need to treat them like they're, like, like they're smart, like they know what they're doing. And when you give them simple, simple cues to members who have been here for years and years, it, it almost makes it seem like you're treating them like they have no idea what's going on. Like, they've heard you say knees out one million times, like they know they should be putting their knees out. Like, yeah, of course you can give them reminders here and there, but if that's the only cue and the only way you're approaching things, eventually they're gonna start tuning you out like they were tuning you out watching you demo walls. Like, they don't need to see that or hear that, um, so you're gonna have to approach it a different way. And this is honestly like my favorite part of, of this podcast and um, how to kind of attack veteran members different, just because I think giving them credit and just asking them questions can get you a lot further. And if they're like, if they're doing something with snatch technique and you say, Hey, like that looked great. Like what, what did you do different on that? Not only are you like saying, Hey, that was a good lift, but like they can kind of explain what they were going through, what their thought process yeah. was. And if there was something you think they could try to improve, then you can kind of layer that in. And it's not like a, Hey, wow. Next time, make sure you punch that bar. Like you've probably said punch that bar a million times, but kind of giving them the opportunity to tell you what they were feeling, how the lift went, and then if there is anything you need to layer on, you're just in the conversation anyways. And then you can say, hey, have you thought about trying it this way? Yeah, I love it. I, I, I noticed myself asking that a lot. How did that feel? Um, what did you felt, feel like could have been better <laughs> on that lift? Letting them start to find the answers a little bit. And also, um, when you give a correction, checking in to see how did that feel? Did that feel any better for you? Yes or no? Okay, let's try to let's try something else. Um, and you brought up like the knees. We talked about the knees out thing. Um, you know, one thing I, I will often bring up is like I'll usually say I notice or I see this. So that way, I think it's it is giving um, it's it's giving them a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, realizing that yeah, they do understand what they need to do, but I'm still seeing this. So hey, I see your knees are caving a little bit in. Today, do you feel that? Um, you know, see where it goes, right? What yeah. do they say? Yeah, I do. No, I don't. Or a lot of times you're gonna be like, yeah, I feel that too, but I don't, I feel like 
if I drive them out any further, my feet are going to come off the ground. If I drive them out any further, I'm going to be off balance. And they'll give you kind of the direction that things might need to go. They'll start to give you the breadcrumbs of where I need to go next. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, you come to veteran athletes with a little bit more curiosity, you end up um, able to go a little deeper. You break through some of those initial barriers or walls that, you know, was kind of your traditional coaching style. I think another thing it does is it keeps you from potentially contradicting another coach on staff, which is pretty big. For us, we have 10 <laughs> potential coaches one athlete could have heard something from. And if you can frame it as a question, um, like you have an example on here, hey, your, your stance looks a little narrower today. Is that on purpose? He's like, yes, Andrew told me that it looked a little bit better when I pulled this way. Like, mm -hmm. awesome, great. And if they need to make an adjustment, if you think they should make an adjustment, you're just in a better position to be like, why don't you try it like a little bit like wider or maybe even more narrow this time. Then you don't feel like you're just like stabbing that coach in the back, mm -hmm. disregarding anything they said. And then the member realizes you guys are on the same page because I think it's really easy to, one coach says something and you're like, no, I'll do it the opposite way. And then yeah. they're like, wait, what's going on? Who's actually right? Who's wrong? And then you have a bigger problem in the end. Yeah, that happens way more than than people might expect. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're at a gym where you're the only coach, you only have two or three coaches on staff, it may not happen that often. Or if you coach the same athletes over and over again, it happens a lot with us. And because we approach it this way, it allows us to uh, get to a better conclusion together. Because mm -hmm. often what I'll find is that the coach will have given them something. And it's not that the coach gave it to them on the spot in that moment. It was like the coach gave it to me a week ago, a month ago that person has actually overcorrected. So let's say at one point they had a super wide stance and the coach narrowed them out. And then over time, they've actually just become, become narrow, narrow, narrower. So if I approach and I say, hey, your stance looks narrow, is that on purpose? And they're like, uh, yeah, Jack told me to get it narrow. And I'll be like, yeah, I think you probably overcorrected. Let's go out another half inch. Let's find that happy medium. I like mm -hmm. that phrase, that happy medium, and see if that feels better. Because what I'm seeing is you're, with that narrow stance, you're not staying in your heels. So I'm, I'm kind of showing them, hey, what I'm seeing that's not working with this over, potential overcorrection, let's find a happy medium. And now it's me and Jack working together versus, well, Jack told me this, Andrew told me that, who's right, I don't know. Who do I like better? Yeah, I love that. The last thing we're gonna talk about for how to add value to veteran members is two things that you can coach from more of a technical standpoint or programming standpoint that will add value, and that is uh, pacing and bracing. And we just think that these are two opportunities that get overlooked, and you can, there's an infinite amount that you can get better essentially at these two things, and, um, and they have a lot of value to the members. So like when it comes to bracing, we're essentially talking about not only protecting the most important piece of your body, uh, at least as it relates to weight training, but your, your spine, um, but we're also talking the ability to lift more weights a lot of times or to be able to add uh, more gymnastic skills. If you're doing you know, toes to bar and kipping pull-ups and things like that, your ability to brace and utilize your core is gonna be tremendous. So we find that that's a big nuanced spot that coaches tend to overlook. They're looking primarily at some of these other moving parts and they're not necessarily paying attention to like, where is the, where is the rib cage in relation to the hips and how can I get them in a better position? And in my opinion, it's so easy for them 
to buy into it because no one comes into your gym like, yeah, I want to get hurt. Like, (laughs) I just want my back to hurt today. So, like, if there's anything that you can say to them that's like, hey, if there's anything we can do to lower your chance of having back pain, it's this, they're probably going to listen because no one wants to have a hurt back or be hurt in general. So, yeah, and it, it, it also just... And like you said, it just allows for better positioning, better lifts in general. Like everyone wants to lift more or better. And this is a really simple way to do it in a way that doesn't look like everything that we teach on a daily basis from like positional standpoint. Yeah. And a a lot of that will kind of bleed into approach on the bar, approach to these movements. And that's a place that I think a lot of veteran members could get better is Mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, you'll often see them, they'll pick up a PVC pipe or a 45 pound bar differently than they pick up their one rep max or approach that bar differently. Um, or they just don't really have a routine. And if you, if you see any type of veteran or advanced lifter, they have a very specific type of pre-lift routine of how they organize, how they get set. And that's a, a place that a lot of people just haven't dialed in. They kind of approach the bar differently every time. And I think that bracing is an aspect of that organization process. The second one is pacing. And this one is such a massive opportunity. Um, Most of your members want to see their scores improve in workouts. Most of your members want to feel better in workouts. They wanna feel like they're able to hit a second wind in a workout. They wanna feel like they're able to finish a workout stronger than they started. They wanna feel like they were able to keep consistency throughout their rounds. And I think there's a lot as it relates to workout approach, stimulus, helping people find appropriate paces, how to break things up, how to attack certain workouts that can add value once the technical side has has less low-hanging fruit. The pacing side, I still believe, has a lot of low-hanging fruit. To build upon that too, I think it makes workouts that don't look that sexy have a purpose and makes them sexy. And yeah. The example that's in my head right now is we have two members who I wouldn't say love running, but we put it in a workout where the only goal of that workout was to increase your pace throughout each round. And Mm -hmm. we kind of uh, framed it around effort, uh, the effort that you give per round, but that was the premise of the workout. And the the amount of feedback we had from those two members and and specifically was like, I've never had that much fun running. It's like, I never would have heard that in a million years that they had fun running, but it's because we just, framed it around something else like instead of just reading the workout and like dreading that you have to run that much they're like they now it's almost like gaming it but it's not like a score game i mean it is but it's against you and the effort that you're willing to give and it just gave them something else to focus on instead of just the workout or the the grunt work that they have to get done yeah and the the screens on your urgs are Mm -hmm. such a huge tool that are underutilized by coaches and getting to really understand the basics, not necessarily the nuances of like the fish game on the screen, um, that's important too, but uh, just some of the basics of like, what what does you know what does a good stroke rate look like? And what does a good stroke rate look like for this particular athlete? Um, you know, cows per hour, what, do, what, is, what is this athlete's cows per hour that they can sustain versus one that they're gonna get burnt out on? How does the damper relate to these? types of things, you know, like we look at example with like the biker is like general rule of thumb with the biker is that if you're not at at least 80 strokes per minute or 80 um, RPMs, your legs are going to get burnt out before your um, lungs will, your, your engine will. 
So if you pay attention to an athlete who's sitting at 70 RPMs, or maybe they start at 80 RPMs, and then they're creeping down to 75, 70, 65, you know that, okay, either this person has completely given up on the workout or probably the damper setting is too high. Mm -hmm. They're building up too much leg fatigue. They can't keep the turnover on that bike. And we actually need to adjust the damper setting down on this workout so they can at the minimum be at 75 RPMs and sustain it. But hopefully they're sitting closer to that 80 RPM amount because we want them to be able to keep consistency. So there's, there's little nuances that when you understand how the pace and the screen and the RPMs are all related, um, it can give you a lot of added coaching to the members. And I wanna add one more because I've been doing this for like 10 years and it's a number that I had never looked at until you brought it into class the other day, which was the, the average split. Um, so uh, we had a really long work, I don't remember how long it was, let's just say like 30 minute AMRAP, where it was just continuous, um, but you would bounce back and forth. And there was two machines in there, the row and the bike. And using that number as a goal was much different than using the pace that it showed on the monitor even. So where I think that pace is great, the, the big 500, count, or 500 meter split is great. What it doesn't show you is like over this entire 500 meters, what was your pace? It shows you what is your now pace. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was a new goal to shoot for like the average of this, can I keep it below a two? Not just can I keep it below a two in the moment because there may be times when right when you start that you're a little bit slower. In the middle, you might pick it up or slow it down. This kind of shows you like throughout, hey, this is the goal that, or this is the pace that I'm keeping and like now I have something else to shoot for instead of just the big blaring number that's on the screen. Yeah. So that was new for me. If you're if you're getting if you're new to this stuff, one I would encourage you to make sure you learn everything on that main screen on all of your, your equipment. The second thing I was gonna say is that give yourself time to coach this. And really I would say that's a good approach for anything with your veteran clients is that don't be so quick to give an adjustment. Watch more reps, watch more of them in action, take more in, be more observant before you jump to a correction. So I think that's a good general rule of thumb. But if you're starting to coach the rower pace, the bike pace, the skier pace for really the first time in this way that we're talking, what I want you to do is just be more observant of your athletes, what not, what pace numbers on the screen, right? We, we're familiar with like the pace per 500 meters. Okay, this athlete's holding a 205 pace per 500 meters. How do they look? Do they look like they're working really hard to create that 205? Do they look like they're it's effortless and easy and don't change anything. I mean, if something needs help, like drastically change it, but like just observe round one. Then when they come, we come back to round two, take a peek again. Oh wait, now they're at 210 and they work, they look like they're working harder. They look like they're working easier, right? Mm -hmm. And you begin to understand what these paces should be for this type of athlete based on a perceived effort level. And you can start to give them really good coaching, maybe not that day, but that just goes into kind of your, your bank account, your mental bank account, and you have it for a future day to say like, hey, I, I noticed the other day, or at the end of the workout, hey, I noticed you started about a 205 pace. Towards the end, you ended closer to 220. Next time around, when we do a similar workout, I'd recommend starting at about a 211, 212, and then no matter how tired you get, I really want you to try to hold yourself to that 211, 212, because I think that's more of your case for this type of time domain, this 15 to 20 minute time domain 
where we have a pretty decent row in it. I also think it just opens up the door for a ton of conversation because it's an awesome time for you, maybe after the workout, to ask, like, like, where were you at? What were you thinking during that portion of the workout? What were you thinking? What were you thinking <laughs> trying to go that fast? Yeah, you crazy. But, I mean, we had a really good example of someone who's been a member for quite a while, and I know you had the conversation with her, and she was just like, oh, I, I wasn't thinking about it. I was just rowing. <laughs> And, you know, because you went by, you went by, you looked at the number, you came back the second round, it was significantly slower, but she wasn't even paying attention to that number. So she had no idea that she was. Yeah, it turns out she didn't even know what half the numbers on the screen were. Which was an awesome learning experience. And now, hopefully going forward, she can apply (laughs) that a little bit better. But it just opens the door for a lot of conversation that um, you may not have had. And that can just help you build that relationship even a little bit more with some veteran members you feel like you have a good relationship with. Yeah, so the last thing I wanna wrap up on is just realize that I think the one thing we didn't mention in our initial avatar of the veteran member is that most likely the veteran member's goal has changed over time, right? Maybe they came in losing weight, wanting to lose weight, more aesthetics, and maybe now it's more performance related. Or maybe there's been this life change outside of the gym, they changed careers, they got married, they have kids now. I mean, we've, we have a ton of people that started with us without kids that now have kids and all, it's almost a night and day difference in terms of how they attack the gym. They go from being very performance and kind of the sort of the classic like competitive CrossFit type of uh, avatar to more just like, you know what, I really just wanna get a good workout, have fun with friends, learn a little bit, um, you know, and just be a part of like a good motivating growth mindset type environment. So um, check in on those goals, be willing to, uh, to listen and shift with your clients as life's shifting around them. Um, did you have anything else to add? I don't. All right, well thanks for joining us guys. We'll see you on the next one.